Welcome to Wisco Dice. I'm your host, the one, the only, the Conzie with the most, and I am joined by these illustrious, wonderful gentlemen. Who all do we have here? Hey, we have Brian, sometimes Stark Raving Man. Hello, it's Justin, the Meeple's Champion. And I'm Matt, sometimes called the Ghost Walker. And this is episode 100, that is 100 of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Today is November 7th, 2022. Before we get started on this monumental anniversary milestone episode, I do have a quick announcement. If you're in Madison, Wisconsin area, we would love to see you at one of our board game nights at Misty Mountain Games on Cottage Grove Road. On our last game night, we had nine people turn out with two games going. November's game night is November 25th, which is also Black Friday if you weren't aware already. Uh, You can also join us in December and when we get together on December 30th. See our show notes for more information on when and how you can participate in these great live board gaming events that we are involved with. In the meantime, back on to our main episode, we are... Uh, going to cover today what we think are essential games. That shouldn't be controversial at all. <laughs> but first, let's dive into the games we have been playing! Okay, that was a lot of excitement. Uh, let's go ahead and start out with talking about the Long Halloween, a Batman miniature game tournament uh, that... Uh, I organized and put on for folks here at, at Noble Knight Games. Uh, it was a 350 reputation, $1,500 funding, uh, which is basically the points and comp system that the game has for assembling and, and putting together your little crews of models. It was six to 12 models, typically. The game is produced by Knight Models. So you can check out the game and all the really amazing miniatures if you haven't already heard about it from us on multiple previous episodes. But Brian and Matt, you guys were both players in the event. I'm really curious what you guys felt, how you guys felt and and thought about the experience. Was it fun? Did you have a blast? What you play? What you do? I don't I got I was so busy running things, I didn't really get a chance to really pay attention to what was going on with you guys. I will tell people I play in tournaments mostly not to win. I I play cuz I want to play three or four games in a day and meet a bunch of new people. I thought it was great from that perspective. I had a pretty good tight first game that ended up with a, a major loss, but then uh, again, all, all really good opponents, great people to meet and talk with. And, and that's the big reason that I do it. I, I thought it was great from that perspective. It's just a fun game with people though. I will say I was pretty mentally shot by the end of the day, but that's more to do with, I just have so much going on right now, but, but it was good. It was, it was a lot of fun meeting the crew from up in uh, Minnesota and just having a good time with people and, and got to play even a local player that I hadn't played very often. But uh, it, it was fun because I got to teach him a few things. I think helped him out with a couple other people he played later in the day. So I thought it was a good time. I thought it was terrible. No, just kidding. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, you didn't time. win. Uh. Well, I won a fair amount of games, I guess. Yeah, you so did. I was playing, I guess this was the first time I played the Soldiers of Fortune in a tournament, and I, like, 99% met my all-painted for the long Halloween. Like, uh, my one bird model wasn't 
quite 100% done, but everything else was. So I was happy to be able to meet that goal. And then I know a lot of the Minnesota players are kind of tough players too. And like, I don't know, the idea was to have this tournament kind of open and friendly play for everybody. You get kind of all levels in there. I have been doing pretty good with my Soldiers of Fortune. So like I wasn't going in with huge expectations of winning or anything like that, but I always kind of like to do well in my game. So I ended up like a draw in my first round. That was against Stefan playing Batman crew. I guess one thing that still happens, even though I've been to a few tournaments now and like we have a fair amount of local players, every single tournament I go to, I'm playing like multiple things I've never seen before. So I think like, well, I played Batman with like the heavy metal Batman. I had never played against that before. He also had like Azrael in his list. Although I, it was kind of fun. I actually took him off in the first turn or second turn or something. So that might have been kind of a disappointment for him. But it ended up a, a pretty close game, obviously, since it was a draw. And then played Joker, which I hadn't seen for a little while since Ben had stopped playing it in the second round. And I got a pretty solid victory in that. And Joker's had a lot of new models lately, too. So there was a few in there I hadn't seen before. And then. Third round was against Organized Crime, I think, is only the second time. Well, second time in a tournament. I guess technically the third time I think I've played against them in recent history. I ended up getting another victory in that game. I just kind of scored quite a lot more than uh, my opponent that time. And then I guess I ended up with a pretty decent record. I got to face my usual tournament opponent of Adam from Minnesota. So he was playing a Birds of Prey crew with Ivy, and I had I've heard a lot about Ivy and like her. I don't remember what it is like mind control or whatever it is stuff she does, but I haven't actually ever played against it. So that was an interesting experience, and we had a pretty tight game. I felt like he was, I don't know, kind of beating my models down quite a bit, but we both still scored quite a lot of points. Like he scored like all but one card in this deck. I was kind of accidentally negating him from scoring the one card because I wasn't paying close enough attention to know what it was, but it kind of depended on me making efforts to like block some of his attacks, which I never did. So it kind of kept him from scoring it. And he was really trying to score his whole deck on me. And then kind of frustratingly, it was a really tight game. And I think the last two rounds, I had like a few cards that I just could have scored if, by like, uh, I think it's my hard point card in the Soldiers of Fortune deck where you need to block like two of your opponent's attacks, but he kept like not rolling enough hits for me to block against. So it was kind of frustrating, but um, I think we were like a point or two away from a draw, which kind of sucked, but it was still a good game. Um, I think I ended up like third overall, if I remember correctly. But again, like usual, was a bunch of new armies, uh, I guess two of the opponents I hadn't played before also. So and it was a pretty fun day. Like Matt said, I ended up also pretty exhausted, which was kind of discouraging having the renegade come up, but hopefully I'll make it through that. Right. And I'm still looking to play some more. It was really cool to have the local tournament for sure, because I at least didn't have the drive home or anything like that from Minneapolis after it this time. So I hope to see more of them around if Ben continues to be awesome and running them. Yeah, I think there'll there'll likely be a few more tournaments coming up next year. I don't I don't know I don't know how many there will be. It'll depend a lot on the growth of our local 
players, but I think there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff for the Batman miniature game that's becoming a league that I think is going to be put into place and narrative event. Hopefully, I'll finally get off the ground and actually launch and run and yeah, we'll see. Maybe even a campaign, but. In the meantime, if you're listening to this, it's not too late to sign up for the Renegade, and particularly the Batman Miniature events. There'll be actually three days of Batman Miniature Game events at the Renegade on November 18th through the 20th. Go to our show notes and grab the link to get over to the Renegade uh, website to be able to get your con badge, as well as tickets to all of these awesome Batman events. Uh, Hope to see you there. So, what was my favorite moment over the last... Um, I, I would have to say it's been the interviews that I have participated in. Uh, I've done two interviews with game developers, and I've done one interview with uh, a group that was uh, that's running a gaming convention. And all of those have just been a lot of fun to do. It's so exciting to see the developers with their grand ideas i mean everybody loves you know our our classic you know big game developers but these have been small indie game developers that i've gotten to interview and and they're really interesting people with really cool ideas that get very excited about the things that they've created um you know so that's been a lot of fun and and interviewing somebody who was starting up their own gaming convention that was a lot of fun too just you know, you, you have these kind of mental expectations going in, and in, in many cases, they just kind of blow your mind, and it doesn't go the direction you, you thought it was going to go, but it's just a lot of fun. So I think that is definitely the the standout moments, you know, in my head from the Wisco Dice over the last, I guess it's been almost a couple of years I've been in, been involved, or nearing on two years, so... So as Ben mentioned, Whisker Dice has been hosting a uh, monthly game night at Misty Mountain Games uh, in Madison, Wisconsin here. And I got the chance to play a game with Suzanne and a couple others. And that was Arc Nova. Arc Nova is from Feuerland Spiele and Capstone Games. And it's uh, one to four players. plays 120 to 180 minutes. Arc Nova is a game where you are building a zoo and collecting the animals that go in the different exhibits in your zoo. And you might be adding food carts and things like that as well. But the the main point is you're gathering these different kinds of animals and providing them enough space and the right kinds of conditions for them to go in your zoo to attract more visitors. And then at the same time, your zoo invests in conservation efforts that act as another sort of aspect to your score. So you're trying to get attract visitors to your to your zoo and have the most attractive, exciting zoo, and then at the same time, really do well in you know conservation efforts throughout the world. Arc Nova is a action selection, worker placement, hand management, card drafting. I mean, why, what other what mechanics doesn't it have? Let me think. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but. Uh, it, it has a bunch of mechanics, but it combines them all into uh, a really cool and pretty slick, fluid experience. One of the cool things about it is its unique action selection mechanism where you've got a row of five cards, which will basically be an action you perform on your turn. And that might be getting new animals for your zoo, 
It might be building new enclosures to put the animals in, or it might just be getting some funds so that you can keep building your zoo out. As I said before, you know, doing some of these conservation efforts and pushing up the sort of reputation of your zoo on that side. You pick a card each turn, and once you take that action, it slides to the back of that row, and all the other cards slide up. And their position in that row determines how powerful that action is. So it becomes a, a situation where you're looking at your cards and like, okay, I've got I've got this this animal building card at a level three, and that means that I can do so much this you know this amount of stuff with that. I might be able to build one animal, but if it was at a five, I could like do play two animal cards. And so it's this it's this cool sort of shifting system where you know you can kind of try to control the power of each card and uh, pick the ones that they're most optimal for you at on that turn. The game has a deck of I don't know two to three hundred cards, which are just different animals, and there's also sort of specialists in there that'll help you and give you different actions on your modifications on your actions and things like that. But most of the most of the deck is is these animals and. Each of the animals has different qualities, like they might be a predator or they might be a primate or a bird. There are conservation goals for you to maybe, say, collect a certain number of bird-type cards in your zoo, and then you'll be able to score some points. There's some comparisons made with this game in Terraforming Mars. There's some similar mechanics in how you draft cards and play those cards and sort of utilize the different symbols on other cards in different ways. I think it's a fair comparison, but this is ultimately a pretty different game. I really like this game. It's the second time I got to play it, and I definitely want to play it some more because there is a lot to do, and it's hard to master. I'd say it's difficult to learn as well, but it's one of those where there's so much depth to it that you can keep playing it and find all kinds of different strategies each time you play. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to this game. And not just in all of the different mechanics that are thrown into this giant bucket of of game system that ends up playing and feeling very much like you're running that zoo, right? It's, it, but it's also yeah. uh, very experience and very. I, I I think the thing that I I enjoy the most is that you win or lose in this game, it has such a uh, an immersive experience and it, it's so enjoyable from that because I, I, but at the end of the game, I don't, it doesn't matter how well you did or how, if somebody else won, I have this really cool thing I made in front of me with all of these different enclosures and all of these different animals. And maybe I had a monkey zoo this time, or maybe I had the reptile zoo, or maybe I just had a wild mix of animals. I don't know, but I, I did something that i had in front of me that i means i you know i did all these cool creative things which is i don't know it's just really it's something i if when a game gets that immersion element right and also has a good game engine behind it it just makes the game so enjoyable and this is definitely one of those ones that are it's probably rapidly sneaking into my top 10 most enjoyable games i that i would love to play yeah i i think of that thing you're describing as sort of this special magical quality that really only certain games achieve and like yeah this has that i built something i i built a unique thing this time it's not the same as other times i've played it's going to be different every time and i and i built it for myself and i you know you're absolutely right like uh 
it's a uncommon quality that games have, but it's really, really satisfying when you get it. And there's so many cards in the game that it's really <laughs> hard to like be, oh, hey, like I'm going to seek out and I'm going to play the monkey strategy or the bear strategy or the this, you know, I'm going to try to collect this type of animal or whatever at the beginning of the game. No, you might, just with the way the deck might shuffle and play out, you might not even see the animals that you're looking for to make that strategy work. Yeah. Let alone get a chance to actually buy them. So you kind of have to adjust strategically what you're playing based on what cards are are up in the tableau and you're initially dealt to kind of work from and and, and pick and choose when you, you're able to grab cards off of that face-up dream of cards that you can pick from. Yeah, the draft. Or when I you're going to dra- you know, yeah. draw off the deck. Yep. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's so many other aspects we didn't get to. We're not doing it real justice here, but yeah, might be one we talk about more. <laughs> but definitely. We do have a it. review on the website, uh, wiscodice.com, so you can uh, check that out. Oh, we'll make sure we have a link in the show notes for that as well. If it does sound intriguing to you, and like I said, I think Justin, you you made it right. We are not giving this game this game full <laughs> justice. It is a absolute great game, absolute. With that, I think it's time to go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we'll start talking about essential things. What is my favorite whisker dice moment? All right, like, I guess I don't know if I'm taking the direct approach to it. I was just kind of thinking I've been in it for quite a while, so there's a very many of them. I guess I'd be curious to go, like, I probably should have done it before this episode, but actually to go back and listen to some of those OG episodes, like the very first one I was in. Like, you and Paul were technically the hosts, and I was the guest. Um, I think we were getting into, like, painting miniatures or whatever and how I started with the book like the how to paint Citadel miniatures book or whatever but I'd be kind of curious and hopefully not too embarrassed of myself going back and listening to some of those old episodes and that kind of tracks into originally like our big focus on Warhammer fantasy I guess I should have gone back to think harder about a standout episode from back then but uh, I'd be kind of yeah, it'd be curious. Well, I just even mean like a moment, I guess. You know, that was like the original kind of Wisco dice stuff. And just I was really passionate about Warhammer at the time and, you know, had some stuff to say. And we talked about so many different things. There's probably a lot of good moments in there. And that, that kind of brings me back around to kind of when the we started recording again in recent history. I think there I can actually pick a favorite moment a bit better. I guess it is a little before Matt and Justin and Suzanne kind of joined us some more, but we did the episode on Star Wars Rebellion. And I think I kind of led that episode a little more than I usually do in some of the our many ep- other episodes. So that would probably be one of the favorite moments. Just I think that game's really cool, so it was kind of just fun. I think that's one of the main episodes where I kind of attempted to lead it a bit more the discussion and us talking about it. So that's definitely a highlight. And I guess I said how they weren't there, but it has been really cool to expand and have the new hosts. Not that you're not enough, Ben, but just it's really cool to see. (laughs) 
the multiple opinions we share and just kind of the thought ideas and everything that comes out there. So I guess that's more of a synopsis of multiple things that would be my favorite moment. Like, I don't think I can particularly pick one. So hopefully that's not too much of a cop-out, but that's kind of the things I think about with Wisco Dicks. Hey folks, this is the Cones of the Most. I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about Misty Mountain Games here in Madison, Wisconsin, where you can find CCGs, RPGs, board games, minis, paint and hobby supplies for your all of your tabletop gaming experience and needs. If you can't find it online, give them a phone call or swing on by their brick-and-mortar store uh, here on the east side of Madison. Don't worry, that is MistyMountainGames.com. Check them out today. And we are back. Woo! 100 episodes. I'm still, I'm just floored at that. I just... I don't know. It's something special. I feel energized that I'm doing. This is a hundred episodes of this podcast that I never thought it was going to be possible to do. So thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate it. I will probably gush later on at the end of the episode, but (laughs) with that gushing aside, let's talk about essential games. And first off, I wanted to ask the question to uh, to all you guys. Is gaming essential? I think it is. Uh, I mean, historically, gaming has been around in one form or another for almost as long as recorded history. I mean, yeah, some people think of games, you know, and they are physical, but there's all sorts of things back in time where you can find where people had dice or cards or, or other types of things. So I think games historically have been important part of socialization or learning um you know or even the concept of learning that it's okay to lose or for a lot of us just helps relieve stress i mean i guess that's my take on it uh you know but it's it's a very large part of my life you know when i was thinking about this question my first just initial reaction is no gaming's not essential you don't nobody has to nobody has to game i don't need to game to stay alive i don't need to game to to support my family i mean so that's sort of my my just off the cuff like no not it's not essential but it, but here's the thing it shouldn't be essential it's something we choose to do it's something we choose to relieve stress or have fun with if it was something i had to do like then what fun is there if you know i if it's essential if i have to do it it's one of the you know benefits of of sort of being lucky enough to live in a time and a society where we can choose to just have fun and do frivolous things. Ultimately we can choose to just play games and, and have a good time and, and socialize with people. So I think it is, that that's my first reaction. But then I really started going down the road that Matt was talking about that. I'm like, well, what is it? What, you know, what does essential mean? Like really like games, not gaming, but games, as Matt said, I think as like just like he pointed out, those are essential to sort of the human condition, right? If you'll allow me to be a little philosophical here. I, I just did a quick, you know, search when I was thinking about this for like the oldest board game. And so there's there's this game called Senate, which uh was like an Egyptian board game uh that is like almost it's like five thousand years old, right? 
And then if you think about other kinds of games, sports, you know, things like that, wrestling, races, those are even older, like tens of thousands of years old. People, people need that stuff. They need to compete, you know, in a way that isn't like warfare, I think. <laughs> uh, right. And, and they need to do things with other people that are enjoyable. So really, I think, yeah, it's not essential in the sort of surface level, but there's something about games and gaming and the way, we, you know, board games or role-playing games or miniatures games, that's just how we choose to play games, right? That's just one of the options. There's video games, there's sports, all that stuff. I think it's the same thing. I think it's something that people do need, whatever form it might take. Yeah, like when you first posed that question, like I was totally like Justin, and I guess I was still up like that till a second ago hearing your guys' opinions. <laughs> that it's like, what are you talking about? Of course, we don't have to play games or something like that. But then I guess it does get into what do you think essential means, or I should probably mm-hmm. look up the definition of essential too. But I think you both made really good points about it. So I will say, for me personally, Gaming is absolutely essential. It is absolutely a fiber of who I am. Without gaming, Konzi would just be a sad lump of oversized a dude. Man. Would be a shell, and he was. And I can say that I was. There was a time in my life where, for about eight months. I didn't play a g- I could I didn't get any enjoyment out of playing games and I almost I that for like eight months I didn't play any games really. I think I might have played one or two games in a whole eight months, eight or nine months, and I was it was I wasn't I wasn't me. I wasn't happy and I wasn't in, I wasn't wholesome. I wasn't the the normal Conzi with the most like like normal and it was a, a not good time in my life. Uh, so gaming is for me, it's very essential to that, you know, how, how I self-define and self-image myself that might not be true for everyone, but as, as we think about it from a, a human condition or a personal, personal per- perspective, it is something that I define as essential. I'm very, 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 very passionate about gaming in pretty much any form that it can be found. Short of maybe gambling actual money because I'm a little little uh, uh, stingy when it comes to my own money and giving it away for, for uh, on games of chance. But everything else, yeah, I'm totally okay with. It's interesting. I hadn't thought of it from a kind of does gaming is gaming a part of my identity, you know, from that perspective. And well, maybe I don't feel as strongly as as you might about it, like. If I think about like anytime somebody asks me, what do you do? What are you interested in? What are your hobbies? It it's always gonna be something about board games. Like that's like the thing I think of. That's what I do. That's how I hang out with my friends almost all the time. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's even more essential than I thought. <laughs> what am I doing in my downtime? I'm Yeah. You know, why why did I pick up miniature hobbies? I can guarantee it wasn't it wasn't just because it was gaming, or it was or that it was gaming, and that I could game with my buddies. It was that I was ga- it was a form of gaming where I could sit down at a hobby desk and work on getting things ready for the table and do it on my own. With I do it's my form of solo gaming. Because <laughs> mm. Lord knows I'm not I'm never going to be good enough artist to 
win Nobel painting prizes or anything like that. Slinger swords and other amazing painting prizes. I'm lucky if I can occasionally win a best painted at a at a small local tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's I think there's a lot of ways that you can look at essential and and so it takes a little bit of an open mind to think about it. You know, is a gaming essential? Well, no, I mean it's 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 not essential. You need to eat or you need to have shelter or you need to have clothes. Okay, well if I look at it from that perspective, sure, maybe it's not essential. But at some point when those needs are met, what am I doing with my time? What else do I, how do I define who I am or, or how society is or how whatever? And, and, and where, everywhere you look, there's, there's games, whether it's professional sports or it's tabletop gaming or whatever it is, whatever that is. And so that's, that's, that's what is essential, to, at least to me. So it, it's good to hear that I think we're all kind of on the same page as far as is gaming essential? My favorite Wisco Dice moment. For me, when we ran the Extra Life fundraiser, I think was, was my favorite Wisco Dice moment that I've had. We tried to do 24 hours of straight gaming online. We were you know, using Discord to kind of run things. I got to play uh, Forgotten Waters with Matt and a bunch of others and just have this hilarious pirate adventure. Got to talk like a pirate a bunch and just have crazy things happen. And we tried to, you know, man, I don't remember a lot of details, but uh, we fought some horrible sea monsters and traveled to all these islands and just it was it was a great time. It's a it's a really unique game, and that was super fun. Also, we did a D and D one shot adventure, which was really cool. I think it might have been a GUI Cube one. That was really fun, just to kind of step into another character entirely, just for a quick time, and see how that was. I know I played more games, but it honestly became a blur after a while. But very fun. I I think. We hope to do it again in the future sometime. Also, you know, we did a good thing for charity. I, I we raised a bunch of money for Children's Hospital. That's what it is for me. The uh, Extra Life fundraiser. What, in your opinion, makes a game essential? What What are those? What's that criteria? It needs to be a little fun. yeah i think it starts with fun at least a little so i guess i'll I'll give my two cents here first when i think of what makes a game essential i think it's these are the games that are the the minimum the minimum expectation is either the game needs to be in like a game collection like if you're if you're like hey i'm getting started with 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 board games or RPGs or miniature games or whatever it is, this this game would be that essential starting point, right? That's that or that or that or that essential starting type starting point into this type of, you know, are you are you a deck? Uh, you want are you interested in deck builders? Well, then you should go play this game because that's the essential. That's the quintessential game of that criteria, right? So oftentimes these games are exceptional or innovators in that specific mechanic or the specific style. That's kind of where I, when I start thinking about essential games, that's kind of where I go is, okay, what is, what is that quintessential game that I think everybody needs to play 
And if they, you know, either because it was the innovator of that style of game or it is just so unique and essential in its what it does that it's an experience unto itself. Yeah, I, I think I can see that. And, and I really do think from another perspective that it really varies greatly depending on what genre you're in. I mean, I, I think now is a fascinating time. We live in a time when, I mean, it's almost, I guess you could argue, it's sort of a renaissance for, for board games. You know, when we grew up, I mean, some of these types of games maybe existed, but... You know, everybody thinks of the old canons, what you grew up with, life, sorry, whatever. Um, Monopoly. It, it, Monopoly. Yeah. <laughs> God help us if I ever play another game of Monopoly. Uh, but, but when you kind of reach that next evolution, you get exposed to all these different genres. And, you know, there are certain games that for whatever reason, they're just iconic. And they help bridge. So one of the other things I like to say about an essential game is it something that you can help bring people into our hobby and the thing that we love to do, um, you know, and you know, for some people, they might really only be interested in fun party games. They want something that they can get like eight or 10 people around a table and have a lot of fun, just laughing and having a good time. And for another person that might really be defined as something that they can be uber competitive about and you know they and their friends love to play games that where you know the goal is really to for lack of a better term screw the next guy over um and everybody else at the table you know or the games that like uh launch or ended a bunch of friendships we know ben's personal favorite settlers of Catan. um you know but but i think what really makes them essential is it's something that you can pull people in and introduce them in my mind especially as we talk about this my mind goes to specific genres of games so and, and i also think it has to speak to you for a gamer so settlers is a great game from the perspective of that i mean ben and i have completely different opinions on the game it is definitely not on Jane, on on ben's essentials list and that's fine because it shouldn't be on your essentials list if you don't enjoy the game, you know? So I think that's one of the thing it's because just because somebody's like, Oh, this is a classic. Everybody should play it. If you don't enjoy that genre, why would you own it? Right? <laughs> so I think essential games have to be like a genre. You enjoy something that you can grab people's attention with, but it's just such, I don't know, just a fun fun time and for all those other games have really good friends like Conzi and suzanne who have a really big library that's what i do <laughs> you know because i i don't think i have that much storage space in my house i'm just gonna note that Catan. if i were to put a list of essential games Catan would definitely if, if i was doing a list of 10 i think Catan would make that list <laughs> but uh looking at it from the criteria i had for this and it was kind of started out with making a list of games. It was just an honorable mention. But I, I think that's that was a game that fell into that. It's a great game to to know about, to have an opportunity mm. to have played because it's it is an iconic game in the board gaming tabletop thing because it was a such an innovative game at the beginning and the in and what it did when it first came out. So, anyways, yeah, I'm defending my 
Katan both stands you, a little bit there. <laughs> both you guys, I mean, uh, there are a lot of parallels with how I kind of approach this this idea of what what essential means for a game. I started thinking about categories, kind of like Matt mentioned, and I sort of like, all right, what's what's if I'm uh, for me the 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 way to say it quickly is. If it's essential, meaning it's either essential that you have it or essential you, that you play it, or maybe it's just essential to me personally. So that's sort of my base criteria. And then I was like, all right, so if it's a game you need to have or play, you know, how can I make those kinds of recommendations? So I just sort of started categorizing in my head. So I sort of thought about these three pillars of tabletop gaming, right? And I basically, I think there's sort of board and card games. Then you've got role-playing games, and you've got miniature and war games. Then I was like, well, you know, this is tabletop gaming. It probably should be a table, so it probably needs four legs. And I realized that there is actually another pillar, and it's probably CCGs, collectible card games. Not a genre that I deal with anymore, but I think it's important in that it keeps a lot of our local gaming stores alive just from the money coming in for those things. It probably helps kind of fund a lot of other kinds of games just because it's a big money maker. But so that's sort of my base level. And I wanted to touch on what are kind of essential games in each of those categories. So, you know, that that's sort of how I approach it. What, what do I think is something you, you got to have played or you got to own in these different pillars? And then I got some subcategories in there to kind of break down some of them. My favorite Wisco Dice moment was in 2021 when Konzi and I went to Gen Con and spent the evening in the open gaming section and played a lot of games, mainly the Night Cage at the time, a lot of games with whoever was able to walk up, uh, talked with us, and wanted to play. It was just a lot of fun to meet so many different people, talk about Wisco Dice, talk about gaming, and teach them a, a new game that uh, was enjoyable. So if we were about to talk about games and what what we what games we thought are essential is there any one game over any other game out there could be a miniature game role-playing game board game social deduction game sport whatever is there any, what any game single game out there that you would point at point a stick at and be like this is the game the absolute quintessential essential game that I would insist that everybody tries. Whew. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah, that's that's tough. I, I mean, you know, I've got this nice little list of all my categories and then you're like, no, nah, forget all that. Let's <laughs> pick one. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Brian, do you have any thoughts? I'm curious. I mean, because... <sighs> You're one of the yeah. ones that doesn't have a game collection of us. And I'm curious what you think, because you've played a lot of different games. 
Is there anyone that you, just sticks out in your mind? No. <laughs> um, like you said, I have a few games. Like, like I definitely couldn't pick one that I think like there's not even one that I think like I need to have necessarily. I guess a lot of this when we were kind of brainstorming ahead of the sto- the, the show or whatever. Like, I mean, I really focused it on board games or whatever, and like. I can't even pick like a specific board game that I would say would be like number one. I know it's not like my big category, but like similarly for like miniature games, like for if somebody's like, I want to play a miniature game, what one should I play? It's like, well, I don't know. There's like too many kind of particulars about it. I think it, that really matter. Like, what if we what if we rephrased this a little and said for you, if you're stuck on a desert island and you can only have one game, and I guess some people to play it with you know can, can you pick a game for that <laughs> i think you'd have to be more specific <laughs> yeah, i don't know like in that same context though like i think one of the big things like especially with miniature gamers like i think you like i really see it as more of a community game or whatever like a lot of them, like you can even technically play by yourself if you wanted to or something but usually you need at least one opponent Usually it's more fun if you have, like, multiple opponents and stuff like that. But then, like, even amongst miniature games, there's so many differences of scale or theme or, like, everything like that. Like, I don't think you could possibly pick one that would just, you know, be, like, a yeah, I don't know, like, a good kind of all-rounder or something like that. I think it's just too particular to taste. And also, like, what's being played in the community and stuff is important to that, like. I guess board games can maybe be a little more narrow since they're, you know, a little more of a one box thing Mm -hmm. and you can play with like whoever all the time, really. But, and I guess you could technically do that with minions too, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I kind of have a hard concept of an ideas for this topic just because I don't have like a huge collection. (laughs) I I had been stalling for time, but I realized, I just realized that I have an answer for this. I'll let you guys talk, but I I just realized what it was. I, I do think that's a fair point though brian because i was struggling with that question from ben too and to me it's it's not just one game but i mean i'm kind of a i am not add or adhd but when it comes to gaming i'm a little add or adhd um i just love them all i love different types i love them for different reasons it's like having to like Having, I have three kids. Like being able to pick one and say that's the one I love the most. I, I mean, it's. <laughs> I mean, I love them all for totally different reasons. They're all wonderful in their own right. So, for me, it's like I, I can't think of one game that's like if you never played any board game in your life, but this one that that's the one you have to have played because everybody likes different things, and that's the beauty I think of just the way board games have evolved it's gone from the i I will call it the very simplistic things that we've done to you can get as complex and crunchy as you want to be i mean they make games that simulate uh, you know what it's like to reach you know the lagrange point and you have to figure out like how you're going to launch a rocket and spend you know four hours just getting it off the ground and then pray it doesn't blow up a half an hour later I mean, I mean, you can get as deep and crunchy as you want, or it can be just super light and fun. I mean, that's the beauty <laughs> of it. Like, even I can't even pick one for myself, kind of thing. Like, 
I know I'm primarily a miniature gamer and I think like maybe, you know, some years ago or something like that, when I was like only playing Warhammer Fantasy, then like I pretty much had a straight answer for that. It's like, sure, I'll just play Warhammer Fantasy. Like, you know, it kind of did everything I needed at that time. But now over the years and cycling through, you know, a handful of different games and now being playing a lot of more board games, it's just like there's a lot bigger scope and a lot more variables involved in order to pick one satisfaction, I guess. Hmm. So I I think I have a I think this is a good answer. I'll I want to see what you guys think. Maybe maybe this is a bit of a cheat, but for me, if there's one game that I, if somebody asks you, I can only play one game, you know, whatever, around Desert Island, or this is the only game that exists for the rest of time, whatever it is, <laughs> I think it has to be Dungeons and Dragons, because really? you could do all the things that Matt just said with Dungeons and Dragons. It could be light, it can be funny, it can be comedic, it can be dark, it can be crunchy, it can be serious. You can have just role play and being silly you can have super hardcore dungeon crawling you know meta gaming stat maxing for the people that like that kind of thing it's it's in your head it's it's a game of imagination you can ignore the rules completely right and just keep the bits that you want you know you can you can have wars you can have magic you can have i mean dungeons and dragons as say just taking a fifth edition book yeah it's set in a fantasy world but you can do whatever you want turn it into sci-fi you know a vorpal blade becomes a lightsaber whatever right you, you there's no limit to kind of what you can do with it uh and maybe that's just role-playing games in general but you know since dnd is the one i'm most familiar with that's what i would pick but i think that's if there's just one i i think it'd be for me uh dungeons and dragons yeah i absolutely agree with you <laughs> that's not always the case right mm. <laughs> but uh in this one i absolutely agree with you and i was going to throw that out there as the as as my thought to it but my thought comes to it i get to it a little bit differently because i see dungeons and dragons as this essential gateway game into the greater gaming oh yeah world right and I mean, I was a little kid, and I was—I had Legos, and I was—I think I've told the story on the show before, and maybe I haven't. But I had Legos, I had these castle system Legos, and back in the day, back when I was a little kid, I made up my own little game, and I had like—I stole the D sixes from Monopoly, and I didn't play—I just played it. it was like my own my own little miniature rule set, and I was playing by <laughs> myself. But then I was introduced to Dungeons and Dragons, and it was like polyhedral dice and this infinite worlds and stories and characters that I could create. And it didn't really matter. It was just this, this, this thing. And that opened up everything else. All of a sudden, once you found that you could find all these other things. And I think for a lot of people, you could put maybe a lot of other little gateway games, maybe, maybe it's Pokemon or magic the gathering that gets them mm -hmm. into the store that then, you know, that maybe this generation is saying that's that's kind of that same game for the mm -hmm. for them that my generation was probably Dungeons and Dragons or were similar because that was what was available to you. In my mind, that is kind of the that is an essential game and game experience. I think if you're going to be a gamer that you need to experience a role playing game and Dungeons and Dragons not only bridges that gap of a role playing game. Uh, in being the granddaddy of 
pretty much most modern role-playing, or basically granddaddy of all modern role-playing games. But it also kind of bridges that gap to be, hey, I can I can be whatever you want to be, and I can play whatever, I, I can play it whatever way I want to play it, and then that then sets the tone for what other other types of gaming I want to get into. Yeah, it helps you find kind of like the niche that you like, right? Yeah. That's yeah, that's a really interesting perspective I hadn't thought of. I mean, and that's functionally how I got into I would say the broader range of gaming. I I can't remember if I was elementary school or middle school, but yeah, it was somebody's sleepover and they introduced me to D&D and that was kind of it, so to speak, right? Cuz it just really broadens your mind and gets you involved in all this other stuff and that that's an interesting way of thinking about it. <laughs> it's it's special too because you know board games, miniature games, the rules are concrete. They're set. You can't really change them. But with D and D, there are rules, but they're flexible, and you could make it what you want it to be. So, not many games have that quality. I don't know. It's just a unique and special game. That's like if I was going to go okay. What's that essential miniature game that everybody should try or play? I would immediately go, okay, you should play a product from Games Workshop like Warhammer 40K or Age of Sigmar. That's the 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 place that I would tell everybody to go. That's kind of the essential game. Might not be the game for you, but is the essential starting point for almost <laughs> every miniature player, you know, as a kid learning about miniature games. It just because it's the big the big boy on the on the on the market and it's the one that you're going to find other people to probably play against uh, in your area when they dive into board games then it's a whole nother like what's what's that quintessentially essential board game that you start to dive into and is that based on mechanics or play or what is it how do you where, where's that where do we start when we start talking about board games i feel like that one's a lot harder because it's to me, it's so much about, like, it's almost like categorization, like Justin was saying, but I struggle with the categories because there's so many things I haven't seen, and, and I keep running into something new and creative that some new developer came out with. I mean, you know, there are tile-placing games, there's worker placement, and then there's light worker placement, and then there's heavy, and then there's <laughs> certain games that, like, uh, there's a newer genre that's really evolved, I'd say, over the last four or five years where games supported by uh you know mobile apps or mm. you know your 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 tablets or your apps and you know and of course like so many of our board games have become digitized and they're on the you know, there's just I, I think that's the thing where I struggle to fill in you, you know is like if I had to pick a few I mean I could definitely think of a few in my library that I think are iconic and definitely ones that you know are like hey I have had a really like a fun time with this like if I had to talk about ones that were supported by an app like the is it second edition mansions of madness um yep. I haven't played it a ton but it, I I played it at Ben's house one time, and it was just something I knew I had to purchase because it's just a fun game, and they add so much atmosphere to that particular game. I feel like that's a game that is one that I, in my mind, is essential that people should just experience it, even if you don't own it, because it isn't a big it is a big box and it's kind of expensive. 
but it's just one of those like fun experiences and there are other things in that genre that i've enjoyed um that are just a lot of fun but i mean that's one in my head that just kind of sits in there as iconic and you know kind of what was the what was like the category you put that one into did you have like a specific <sighs> this is the genre category i just that... in my head it was just games supported by apps because <laughs> <Okay>. like <laughs> And I, and I think of ones that are more, na- I'm going to call them, nar- I'm going to call them narrative games. Hmm. I mean, because some of them are more like, like, cause you guys have played Forgotten Waters with me and that's a fun one too, but it's, it's not like Mansions of Madness has minis and, and boards and you're discovering stuff. And there are other games that are in that same sort of genre, but they don't require minis and you could play them from afar and. I mean, but the app is what adds a whole level of atmosphere to it. It's almost like, I mean, I, I hate to go back to D&D. It's like having this DM who's helping you with the atmosphere and the sound effects and all the fun things like that. I mean. For me, like, I so like, and I came up with a bunch of categories and I guess like that's actually what I did think about in the category that I had was just like a thematic board game as opposed to say a euro game or something like that like one that's really about the theme i think managed madness fits that really well but for me that 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 kind of category it's not app supported but it is very very thematic definitely i think just an essential board game that everyone needs to experience is battlestar galactica it is a social deduction game it is a cooperative sort of crisis management game i guess you are you know on the ship, which I'm forgetting the name of at the moment, Galactica, I guess, right? <laughs> and there's some players who are potentially Cylons or, or basically against the humans and trying to sabotage things. And then, you know, as you're trying to just desperately get back to Earth, these gigantic warships pop up and, you know, just start attacking your ship and blowing it up and damaging it. And the tension of trying to deal with all these crises at the same time as trying to figure out who's a Cylon, what's going on, how do we get through this new crisis, and also try to avoid being sabotaged. Like the, the tension and, and, uh, and just sort of direct interaction with everybody that's playing is, is unique. It's really cool. I would recommend everybody play this game at least once. Maybe you don't own it, or it's hard. You know, you can't. It might be hard to, <laughs> it might be hard to get nowadays. But uh, man, you should have take take the chance if you have never played it. Well, yeah. I think uh, FFG re-released that as Unfathomable, which is mm-hmm. now a Mythos Cthulhu theme, but is basically the the same game engine. So uh, you can pick that one up currently uh, on retail. So if you did not get the opportunity to play Battlestar Galactica back in the day. Or know somebody like myself that has a copy, then you can always pick up Unfathomable and get the Battlestar Galactic experience, Galactica experience, just with a different theme and less toasters. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that when I when I think of essential games, the game collection myself, and when I th- when I'm thinking essential board games, I think they are. I am um, unfortunately. Reflecting then my age and time in the board gaming world, and and I go to think, okay, what is that essential game for me teaching this kind of core mechanic to to uh, that now is rolled into so many other board games? 
uh, what is the essential game for me teaching this one? And so if I think about deck builders, I immediately think of Dominion. If I think of uh, worker placement, I immediately my head immediately goes to Lords of Waterdeep. If I think of, uh, say, social deduction, I immediately think of One Night Werewolf, which surprisingly barely ever gets any play. I, I, I think I've ever played it once, and we didn't even have an actual copy of the game. But so many other games like that, like I think I think of when I can think of all these different genres, I go, okay, well, what's that essential game here? What's that essential board game that that fits that that niche? And I start to go go down this crazy rabbit hole of different games and how they kind of satisfy those niches and are and are and are like, I would say the the key game for that particular kind of game. You want a set collection game? Ticket to Ride. You want a tile lane game? Carcassonne. Those are pretty iconic games, too. I mean, there's there's obviously other examples, but I think there's something kind of special about the ones you're mentioning, too, that, like, you mentioned at the top, they're innovators in the genre. I think those kind of fit that, too, right? I mean, Dominion, you know, is really like the first deck building game and it's one of the best examples of that carcassonne tiling they just they did it like is i those games definitely resonate with me in terms of those are like iconic games that just have always been the sort of examples of their genre i think they're essential too if you're if you're going to be in board gaming for any kind of significant amount of time i feel like a lot of those games are are those games that are the essential like you need to play those to feel like you're caught you're a board gamer i was like i, I was told the <laughs> other day I, I i joined this well, i guess it was the other day it was a year ago or a little bit longer i i painted up my very first beholder Right, and Beholders is like eye monster in Dungeons and Dragons. If you don't know what it is, it's like these little tentacle stalks with other little eyes. It's a pretty iconic Dungeons and Dragons monster. And I finally, for the first time ever, painted up one. I was kind of like, mm, you know, I want to paint one, well, paint one up. And I got my D and D group going right now. And I don't know if they'll actually run into one, but I wanted to paint one up so so that there's at least the illusion that they might run into one, right? <laughs> And uh, whether they actually will or not, who knows? Maybe not this campaign. Maybe the next one. Maybe it is in this campaign. I won't tell you. Uh, they'll just have to find out. Side quest. We're going to try and find a beholder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quick you got a few quest. more levels, I think, before you start going on side quests for beholders. But Nonsense. <laughs> DPK. Yeah, next campaign. <laughs> Have you seen the damage we wreak out? I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Although I I know how to I know how to give you a very challenging combat now. But I painted this model and I put up some pictures everywhere and and one of the things that came back was, well you're not really, you know, you're not really a miniature painter until you've painted a beholder. And and so I'm like, oh, hey, I've been painting miniatures for 10 years, but now I'm a miniature painter. <laughs> now I can consider, I, I've checked that one off the list. Yep, done it. Now I can be a miniature painter. So kind of a rite of passage. Type it of. is. It's kind of that rite of passage. And so I see, I, when I think of these, when I think of some of these essential games that, that I, I go, okay, in the board gaming world, it's more of, these are rite of passage games. And, mm. and you coined it right there. That was perfectly. The rite of passage games that I think are, essential experience games 
that there likely are better games or more enjoyable games now than there were when a lot of these games maybe were first created. And some of these games still hold up the test of time. It said that honorable mention of mine was Catan. I don't think it holds the test of time, but it's still an enjoyable experience. I unfortunately almost always end up sitting for a half an hour, 45 minutes, waiting to score that 10th damn point so the game will end. <laughs> but uh, it is that there, there's the really cool trading mechanics and the, you, hey, you got some dice rolling and there's the tiles and, you know, there's there's a lot of really good things that are going on with it that make it that kind of, um, you know, you should if you're in, I think it, it all, it kind of almost, it's, it's that, that, experience that you should experience if you're into board games are there other games that you guys think of like that maybe fit that experience when we talk about board games so i i mean i think if you get into certain genres there are certainly some iconic things in my mind like when i think of and and it's probably not the first one but it's the one that always sticks in my mind which is there, there's a whole genre around cooperative board games. And what I mean by that is it's functionally the players versus the board. And the board is out to kill you. Uh, and so the one that I always think of is Pandemic. Um, and if you've never experienced it, it's, it's just one of those games that I just, in my mind, just sticks out as just iconic. It's fun. It gets you that experience of like, yay, I've got hope. And then everything goes to sideways and you watch the board demolish you like 30 seconds later. I don't know. I mean, it's just that kind of genre. And, and there's, there's a lot of examples in that genre, but that's one of the ones on my list that I just kind of go, you know, in that genre, that was the one that just kind of really captured me and made me think of games like, hey, this cooperative, we're all playing against the board, could be a hell of a lot of fun. you know. And it's a nice side break in my mind for those people that don't want the, my goal is to score more points than you are, or you know, whatever the end goal of you know a lot of games are. So can we win together? Pandemic was also on my list for sure. I think it's, I mean, at this point, I think it's iconic, really. For me, though, it's the sneaky gateway game that you can get people who don't play board games to play and actually play a real game, which is easier to do with a co-op game. And so I think that's why Pandemic is a really good choice for this. For me, it was one of the first that really showed me like a true co-op board game and how good it could be and how much like tension you can have and like excitement being on the edge of nearly losing right i'm almost certain i lost we the first game of pandemic i ever played and and as you said i'm pretty sure it happened really quick and it was like oh that's what a board game can be like just you should expect to lose kind of a thing (laughs) and that was sort of a unique experience you know the first times i played that i think yeah it's it's one of those games that that you got to have the experience. I would even go so far as to say you should own Pandemic or some version of it if you have a game collection because it's ubiquitous now. So lots of people know it. People who don't play games can play it. You know, it's not hard. And it's a good social, you know, experience as well. So, yeah, definitely on my list. Talked about it. You know, we've we've discussed this one before, but to me, like if we're talking about, uh, I put this in the category of Euro games, right? So resource management and those kinds of things. But it's Agricola, right? That to me is just one of the 
perfect examples of a worker placement and a resource management Euro game. It is essential to me in that it's one of the like first real Euro board games that I found that really got me into gaming. I think it stands the test of time. Like even even other uh, Uwe Rosenberg games, who's the that's the designer of Agricola. Like there's there's a ton of them and they're good, but like for some reason I will always come back to Agricola as sort of again just just that it stands the test of time. Is all I'm trying to say. You, you know, with all the gaming days that we've done that's one that i know is at the table multiple times and i've never played it no it's essential <laughs> you got to you have to it's essential my, i think my <laughs> wife has played it because it, for anybody who doesn't know my i mean obviously many of you don't know who my wife is uh we we will when we go to these game days we don't always play together we we will typically split up and 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 play whatever's interest us but i think she's played that one and that's one i have not played so my the one worry I have is that I think at this point in the in the hobby, Agricola is old. I mean, it came out in two thousand eight, and I think it is a great example of worker placement. It's still an, a, a fantastic game, but I think you know you've probably played so many other games that do stuff that 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 game does that I wonder if it feels it'll just feel old and sort of not exciting. I I don't know. It'd be interesting to get to see what you thought of it you know having played tons of other stuff and other worker placement and games like that i don't know and there's a whole another topic for another podcast i think is <laughs> games that hold up the test of time because for me i could throw agricola in that bucket and games like zolkin and uh, and dominion or ascension i think those are games that i can just kind of come off the top of my head terra mystica for me uh, it's been out for several years you know there are there that's a whole that's a whole another real world or topic did we hit all of the games that everybody wanted to mention there were a lot of games in this li- in this list of being mentioned that people thought were essential and i don't want to make i want to make sure that we don't miss anybody's Hey, I thought this game should be essential for some reason. If we, if you wanted to make sure it got mentioned, so somebody mentioned sort of party games uh, at some point. I think Ben mentioned One Night Werewolf or One Night Ultimate Werewolf, whichever one. And I, I think if you've got a board game collection, you got to have a party game. You got to have a good party game, right? You know, you've got your you've got your your deck building, right? So that's Dominion. Get that. That's deck building one hundred and one. You should at least play it. You got a good Euro game. You got a Greekla. Good job. Good, good job. Listen to my, you know, recommendations. Hopefully you've played Battlestar Galactica or picked up Unfathomable. Played Pandemic. You got that. Got a good party game. I think it's Code Names. I think it's so simple and such a solid party game that anybody can play. Maybe there's stuff that's better than it, but there's a bunch of versions. It's fun. It's a game where you kind of got to use your brain and be creative, uh, which is which is neat aspect to it, and yeah. So, for a party game, code names, uh, role playing games was one of my categories. I already said it. It's D and D, and then I just had some like personal games that were just sort of for me, that are essential to me. And the first one is Magic: Gathering. That is a game that was one of the very first things that I got into getting into games and board games and stuff. And the sort of scope of all the different creatures and 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 magic and all this stuff was just so cool. I think it 
it for me it had that effect that like maybe D D had for ben where it's just like this world opening up of all this stuff and ideas and led me into the world of gaming uh and i think for a lot of people it's a way easier way to start kind of getting into gaming because the price point is easier to deal with you know you're not dropping 60 bucks all at once or 70 or 100 or whatever nowadays you know buy a couple packs buy a deck 10 bucks 20 bucks maybe yeah, I don't feel like you played that game long enough because I can't think of a time I wasn't <laughs> buying a full box. Oh, no, no, no. Cards. <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, uh, way to pretty substantially. <laughs> oh, no, that, that's a very slippery slope, and I have many thousands <laughs> of magic cards in my closet still. <laughs> yeah, it's but, you know, until your friend decides he's going to go buy a box, and then he's got so many more cards than you, you can't compete. Or yeah. your whole group decides what singles are, and then you're like, guy that's still <laughs> buying booster packs and went hmm, mm-hmm. why can't i ever win anymore mm-hmm. oh i guess i better get into miniature games because this is too expensive yeah pretty much i mean I, honestly I, I collected magic cards way more than i played i almost i didn't play very much like once in a while with some friends i like the cards i like the art you know and uh it's something i could afford and just sort through my things and build decks on my own and try them against mm-hmm. my brother that kind of stuff. So for me, I wouldn't recommend necessarily anybody go play Magic. I think it's pretty foundational to games in general. Mostly it's just something that I was essential to me and my gaming identity, or for lack of a better word. I think that's going to be on like the next generations. Like I got like showing my age. You know, I'm in my 40s. Magic wasn't a thing it was dungeons and dragons was the like mm. game right and so the next generation when game stores became more prominent and magic cards magic gathering came out and and now you had you know these these magic i think that's going to be uh more and more that's that's the next generation of gamers is like that's their gateway into it right and that and so that becomes the essential game it kind of replaces for a lot of people Dungeons and Dragons. But then I'm kind of curious is then now we're in this D and D five E generation, right? And for Dungeons and Dragons and how much of that might turn things back to people looking at it is now Dungeons and Dragons is that foundation game for getting them into all these other types of games. So it's just kind of curious how cyclical and, and interesting that uh, these, these games are, but they're, I think they are essential to the gaming industry, games like Magic and Dungeons and Dragons, because they become such great launching pads and gateway games to getting into the rest of the tabletop gaming universe. Would you guys say that, I mean, for like miniatures of war games, I mean, is there is there an equivalent in that category? That's like It's absolutely Games point? Workshop. Absolutely Games <laughs> Workshop games. As much as as much as I wish it wasn't necessarily <laughs> for a lot of reasons, there are some really good Games Workshop games now that are small miniature count that there wasn't back in the day when when I think Brian and I were getting involved with with Dungeons and Dragons um, or Dungeons and Dragons Warhammer Fantasy back in the day, you know, way back then. Like Kill Team for 40k, you need you know go buy a box of models. And you probably have more than enough models to play uh, and change up your list and play Kill Team dozens and dozens of times. And I think there's an Age of Sigmar equivalent to that now. Shows yeah, I think out a of few it. variations of it already. But so you can, 
oh hey, I want to play the fantasy one or I want to play the the forty k one. I can you can play that and figure out if miniatures are good or are interested in you are are interesting to you and if you want to do those kind of uh, miniature hobby things. So Games Workshop has some great products within their family of the forty k and the and the AOS uh, Age of Sigmar universes uh, for smaller small scale games that you can get started before you get into their bigger games. But I th- I really do think that anything Games Workshop is you know a core games work one of the core Games Workshop games Age of Sigmar or forty k or kind of that and that that point right now in miniature wargaming uh, because it's it's more of an availability of players and your opportunity to get to go play the game once you've actually made a significant per, uh, investment in, in models and miniatures. Yeah. I mean, uh, I came a little bit later to the whole miniatures thing. I did, I have played some of Warhammer 40 K and that was definitely the most, I guess, visible at the time, but I was sort of already in the gaming space, you know, magic and board games and D and D a little bit. So many other miniature games out there that are that you could shake your stick at. You wanna you wanna get into a superhero game, uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol or Batman miniature game. Pick your you know DC or Marvel. Which one do you want? You pick it and go with it. You wanna you wanna play you know you love Fallout. Well, go play Fallout Wasteland Warfare that board game, or that miniature game. Oh, you wanna you love Song of Ice and Fire. Well, go play that miniature game. There's the, there's so many game miniature games out there that you can go pick all of them. But if there was one that I would, there's there's one big boy on the market right now. It's any it's Games Workshop. So they're they're definitely the starting point there. My favorite Wisco Dice moment over the years. That's a hard question, and for me, it's been the growth of the podcast. From the little Warhammer fantasy show that we started out as, Paul and I, with this vision that we could podcast and get a following and be the next great podcast for Warhammer fantasy, to the realization after a year or two of doing the show to we are what we were in in the Warhammer world, and it was great, and we were enjoying it, to the death of fantasy to the rebirth of and rebranding of Wisco Dice, all of these things, all of these channels challenges that the show has overcome over the years for almost 11 great years of podcasting now. Addition of all of the new hosts, Brian, Justin, Matt, Suzanne, all contributing and bringing additional content. And of course, having those interactions with you, the fans and the listeners, we appreciate that. And it means so much to us. So here's to the next hundred. We'll talk about this and reminisce after the next hundred episodes. All right. I think we have got an episode there. So that is episode 100. One zero zero. Wow, like that. It's still it's a crazy number. I I'm mind blown. Uh, thank everyone that stuck with Wisco Dice for a hundred episodes of this podcast. It's really insane. And if if you weren't here for all those hundreds, uh, all those hundred uh, first hundred episodes, well, I certainly hope you'll be here with us when we get to the next get the next hundred episodes recorded. It's you, the listeners, that we do this for. Whatever it is, you know, that you're finding enjoyment out of the show, we appreciate it. Let us know on on Facebook, Twitter, 
Instagram or even on our Discord. We really do appreciate your feedback and your thoughts. And let us know what games you think are essential for your collections or for getting into this crazy hobby that is gaming and tabletop gaming. So on this episode, we did talk about games and in, in essential gaming and in, in, in essential games and what we kind of thought fit in that category. Uh, we talk, caught up on the games we were playing, and that would include Arc Nova, which is an amazing game from Fewerland Spiel and Capstone Games, as well as talked about the Long Halloween, which is a Batman miniature game tournament that I ran. Game, the game is published by Night Models. With that, we hope to see you at Misty Mountain Games on Cottage Grove Road for our monthly board game nights, either on the November 25th or December 30th. So if you're in the Madison area, please stop out, out and say hi, and we'll have fun teaching you a game. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts. Oh, and by the way, give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at wiscodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Ah, oh, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Wiscodice.com. That's right. It's wiscodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out.